The following podcast is for mature audiences. Well, immature adults with potty mouths. Listener discretion is advised. As soon as cell phones could shoot decent quality video and upload directly to social media, amateurs became influencers. Those who didn't have a voice suddenly had masses hanging on their every word, and folks with a cause had a megaphone, or at least a microphone. The idea of standing for something in our society can be a double-edged sword. To be labeled as a warrior for social justice, is it a compliment or a pejorative term? With great power comes great scrutiny. Today, we'll discuss what it's like to be a social justice warrior. So get ready for a really fun, really interesting conversation with the girl with the microphone. I'm your host, Matt, and this is the Going There Podcast. yourself a drink because we're going there taboo topics are back on the table so it looks like we don't have a full panel but we do because all of the personalities on the other side of this conversation but let's start with introducing my co-host this sexy woman to my left hi i'm lindsay baker i'm a producer on the going there podcast an hr professional um, and big fan of our guest today and please introduce yourself, the woman who should need no introduction, but she will anyway. Hi, everybody. I'm Kate. You might know me as the girl with a microphone, at girl with the microphone, wherever you are social mediaing. So, Kate, what put you on the map? What put me on the map was trolling Trump rallies, uh, like Trump standouts on the street back in 2020, um, right before the election. Love it. Fall of 2020. Love it. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Let's take a look at Satan's butthole. I mean, not really, but let's look at that. <laughs> All aboard the Trump train! Woo! Next stop, Satan's butthole! Obviously, some people might look at that and be like, oh, this person's just being a jerk or being mean to this demographic. But the reality is it's definitely satire on top of the fact that you're not calling out a whole giant section of people in America. You're calling out the crazy of the crazies of the crazies, the extremists. Correct. And and even more than that, just trying to... Honestly, it was it was less about calling them out because I've gotten to a place where I don't really feel like people that are still supporting Trump are listening to anything. It was more about giving people on the left some catharsis and some release and some humor when things seemed really, really, really bad. So that was I mean, that it was something I was doing for myself and I didn't realize how much it was going to help other people feel so much better. So that's what it really ended up being about more than anything. And it was obviously catharsis for yourself as well, right? Oh, big time. I mean, that's 
that's why it started. It was not, I'm going to go get famous doing this. It was, I have a microphone. I see these people by my house every week and they make me so angry. And I want them to know what I think of Donald Trump. So that's, that was how it started. Well, and that's kind of interesting because you're in Massachusetts, which I tend to think is more of a progressive liberal area. And and I don't want to like stereotype the whole state, but that that's a little bit surprising to me from that you're seeing them by your house. So, you know, how does that speak to your community? Yeah. I mean, Massachusetts is definitely one of the most liberal progressive states in the whole country. I mean, we were the first to legalize gay marriage and we were at the forefront of a lot of stuff. But uh, I live in the center of the state where it's a little more rural. Um, we're not near Boston and we're not a very diverse area. It's super white, um, it's to some degree working class. Uh, so there are a lot of people who still fall on the, the right end of the spectrum, even in a state like this. And I think they, because they're so limited, they try to be even louder um, and crazier. Uh, so we definitely have some some right wing celebrities here that that have made the news a lot. And uh, it's fun for me, for sure. Maybe some January 6th guest stars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you spot any of your neighbors uh, on TV on the 6th? I, I do wonder there there is one video um, because on a lot of the a lot of the videos, it's like similar people at all these different rallies. And I. I learned that it's like this same small group of people that goes to all the different rallies in Massachusetts. So, uh, yeah, there's at least one woman who uh, had her flag on a fishing pole. And I I feel like she may should probably should be investigated. That's <laughs> she just gives the vibe to me. So I, I would not be surprised. I, I think there were at least a few mass holes uh, at January 6th. <laughs> that <laughs> mass holes. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking Which love that. Which usually so is a term of endearment for Massachusetts right. people, but here I'm using it as not. Yeah, I, I I knew some folks from Boston years ago, and they were definite mass holes, but like in a good way, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. When I think of Massachusetts, I think of like conservative liberals, if that makes sense. I think of like old school JFK kind of folks. Yeah, you know, it's like yeah, definitely like centrist Democrats, Kennedy Democrats. Yeah. Um, I mean, because there's a lot of money. There's a lot of wealth, especially in the Boston area, which is just increasingly becoming uninhabitable for for the working class. People just are getting pushed further and further out of the city. So, I mean, yes, there's there's definitely Republicans there and it is mostly centrist Democrats. Um, but by the by the I would say on the spectrum of like the whole country, even our centrists are a lot more liberal than a lot of other states. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just I, you know, I was expecting you to maybe be in Minnesota or something like that, you know, where it's a little more of a mixed bag. <laughs> Everyone thinks I'm in Texas. I get that a lot. I get that I'm may I'm, I think I also look like a lot of people. I get that. Like, oh, do you live here? I feel like I saw you. But a lot of times people do think I'm in I'm in the South. So um, I'm here to tell you there are ding dongs everywhere you go. It doesn't matter what state you're in, um, how blue it is. Not one county in Massachusetts voted for Trump, which is like a badge of honor for me. But there were still every single week I could find a rally on multiple corners just within like 20 miles, 30 miles of my house. So yeah. You had mentioned before, it's like your your goal was never to be famous. Um, and, and the term celebrity can mean so many things anymore. But th there is a reality that 
I think especially some of the younger people and maybe just some of the more disillusioned people are, they think that fame or some form of celebrity is a goal, is, is something to aspire to, which I got to tell you, even as somebody running a podcast, my God, the last thing in the world I want, would ever want, is to be famous. Uh, has it taken a toll on you being, going from a, you know, a regular mass hole to a more famous mass hole? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I mean, I would I would say that as as the oldest child of of, of three siblings who were very close together, I love attention <laughs> because I you know I didn't get a lot of it growing up, like individual attention. So I wasn't trying to get famous with this, but I also was very excited about it when it happened because I thought it was just so cool, and I have. I have been trying to like get my voice out there just about politics in my own small ways, you know, as long as I've been on social media, because I, I just can't shut up as is evident by my videos. So it was very exciting at first, but I did notice that every time I posted a video and it went viral, a couple days later, I would just have this crash. It was like a dopamine crash. Um, and I would get really depressed and sad about like the state of the world. And because in addition to all like the lovely comments, there was just people being so horrible and ugly. And it was less about taking it personally and more about like the state of specifically young men in our country that was really bumming me out because I have a couple of uh, nephews who actually are in Michigan um, in very a very conservative area and, you know, they're flying Trump flags in their bedrooms. And it was just making me think about the fact that they're probably talking to women the way these other 14 year old boys were talking to me. And it was just that I think was that crushed me <laughs> anytime that I really thought about the way teenage boys are being socialized to, to harass people on the internet was, I think that was like the biggest bummer out of all of it. But you touched on such an interesting point that is so relevant to me. Um, well, first of all, like being an influencer of any kind, there is a mental health toll that it takes, right? Um, but even doing this show, and I mean, we haven't even started releasing season two as of the time of taping this. I'll tell Lindsay, I'm on such a high when we're here and we're talking and we're collaborating and we have such awesome uh, people on the show like yourself, guests and panelists, and then I crash the next day. And I mean, not am I just tired. I like the darkest, dark, deep low. And I think some of that is that you, it's like coming down from a high, your dopamine levels are so fucking high. And then suddenly all of those things that you were talking about start to sink in and it's like, Jesus, are, are we fucked? Yeah. That, that's a real thing. And I think, I think that's why people are surprised sometimes that comedians and actors and performers are depressed people because it's not that they're depressed when they're, they're on it's you come down because it is like extreme high to low like that. Yeah. And it's the, the empathy that it takes to be, on in front of people to do to do something that other people aren't doing and i think that that's i think that was a, a reason that my my videos took off because 
I assumed other people were doing it. I assumed other people were trolling these standouts because how could you not? But people were people were frightened. People were scared, right? They and I got that a lot in my comments, like, "Oh my god, be careful! What if they have guns?" Like people were terrified of this, and so I think that vulnerability is also. I mean, it just wears you out after a while, and you know there are these expectations, specifically on digital creators, to never stop. Because as soon as you do, you start losing followers. And then it's really easy to get caught up in that. And and that was also super depressing a lot of the time. But now I just, I make what I want when I want to make it. And I have much better mental health as a result of that. So Honestly, that's what's, what's the most important. Um, you know, I, I, it's, been a, it's been a juggling act for myself. It, I started this podcast to try to make a positive change to try to have these uncomfortable conversations, try to shed a light on some of the things that are getting ignored, but you can't do it at your own expense because then it's, it wasn't worthwhile. It was done in vain almost. Well, and, and one of the things that we thought about, I think maybe when we started releasing the first couple episodes was like, what if people figure out where your business is and they hear it and they don't agree with it or they figure out where a house is? Uh, and and they're mad, and you know you kind of have to say, is the cause worth that risk? And really, are, are the people behind the keyboard going to exert that much effort to try to come and like get you? Um, but but people can be really really cruel behind the keyboard and really threatening. So um, it, it is a risk. But to your point, like you just put what put out what you you feel like you need to, um, and and what aligns with your cause. Um, and I yeah. think that's the and, most I mean, important there thing. There are all different kinds of activism. And I say that a lot because people, a lot of times I would get like, oh, what is this actually doing to change anybody's mind? And, but I've, I've heard the analogy of like activism being a, a freeway, not a one lane road. And there are all these different lanes. And so putting myself at risk like that was just something that I didn't care about. Like I was just like, I want to do it. They need to see someone, look them in the eye and tell them how insane they are. They need somebody to do this and I want to do it. And I don't know if I have something missing in my brain that was like making me not scared of doing this or just the rage was taking over. But uh, yeah, I just, at the time, the risk seemed worth worth the reward, which was confronting these people in a way that was funny to people that were just hurting so much. And I'm sure some of the the crazies who... Uh who didn't like the lane you were driving and had something to say about it. Oh, I mean, constantly. And I, I'm i grateful that that stuff has, has died down. But there were there were a bunch of times that were that were pretty scary. Um, my my wife is a very careful person. And so she would get really scared. And I mean, she, honestly, she is a huge reason I stopped making videos because she was getting really nervous. Like the last one we did someone was recording me and said they were going to send it to this like local conservative, like it's not a newspaper, but it's one of those just like online troll rags. And he has like ruined people's lives. Um, Then again, she was recording me on her flip phone. So, I mean, it wasn't going to do anything, but (laughs) like I wasn't, I wasn't worried. Yeah. Same woman as the fishing pole. She had fishing pole and flag and then flip like Nokia flip phone out recording me in like one megabyte, you know, just like. You should have been scared. She obviously had access to a time machine. So fuck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. 
the technology was was outstanding for sure. Um, but yeah, so that there was the fear. I was going to say homegrown terrorist has her on blast. Like they're just ready to like put her out there. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah. you, you had shared a story offline about some of the crazy shit that people have done to let you know that they don't agree with you. Back then, a creepy thing that happened was somehow this this woman in like Oklahoma got a hold of one of my good friend's phone numbers and was harassing her like harassing me through her. And I don't know how she got that number. That was really scary. That was like the closest it got personally until um, more recently, my wife and I were talking on our YouTube channel about wanting to have kids and like the process of, um, <clears throat> of um, intrauterine insemination and all of that and um, potentially IVF. And I got this letter in the mail with no return address, of course, because they didn't want me to know where they lived. Um, and I actually, I still have the paper. <laughs> so basically it was like this packet of, of information about ho how homosexuality is a sin, blah, blah, blah. And I figured it was just like local Jehovah's witnesses because they've dropped stuff off before. Um, I didn't, yeah, it didn't really register to me like that they had my full name and address on it and it was stamped like, but then I opened it and I realized there was like this little personal note. And I was like, oh, wow, they're getting, you know, they're getting real specific here. And basically it says bringing a child into this world without a father would be a tragedy. He is waiting for you. No one is too far gone. And like my blood just ran cold because someone I, I found out it was someone in California. Someone in California has my home address and was able to find it. I don't, I still don't know how they got it um, and send me this very creepy little message. And I think the thing that infuriated me the most was they didn't sign their name and they didn't put their address on it. So they understand how scary it is to know for, to know that someone else knows your address and then, but they didn't think that it was like out of line to do this to me. So that was, that's probably been one of the worst the worst things. Don't even get me started with homophobia in the church and church yeah. trauma and the shit that they put people through. But like the, the, just the basic human logic of saying, I'm going to drop this note off, especially when it's trying to come off as like nice and positive, right? Like don't, don't give up, you know, it's of course. Like, yeah. This couldn't have been meant to do anything other than take a dig at you. Yeah. And intimidate, and intimidate me. They dress it up in the guise of Jesus and, and God and, and try to make you feel bad. And it's like, I mean, that's church in general, I feel like, but that's, yeah, that's extra sick. Yeah. Like I said, the Trumpers, they, they might have a hard time hating you because you're white, but mm -hmm. you're a woman and you're, and you're gay. So, you know, those are two strikes on you, you know? Yeah, exactly. And they, I mean, then they always found something to talk about. You're ugly, you're fat, you're gay. Like, and I realized, I mean, and I think that's just being a woman on the internet because no matter what you look like, they're going to find some way to attack something about you, usually about you physically that they're going to just like hammer. And they were just all saying the same thing. So like that never bothered me, but just like stuff showing up at my house or, I mean, there was also some stuff said about my adorable sweet baby niece and and like just people being really really gross um that was the stuff that was just it stuck with me there were just a handful of things that stuck with me the rest is just is just noise but like as far as you said with with being white um that's a a big reason that I wanted 
to put myself in the line of danger, I guess, to some degree, because I think we need to do that more um, because a black person rolling up on a Trump rally would not have gotten away with it the way I did. No. And I know that. And so I, I like to use my my privilege um, to do daring things if I can. Uh, that's beautiful. I, I, I mean, that's very much the kind of the, the thought behind our show right. is to speak up because one, other white people will listen to you. They're more apt to listen yes. to you, somebody who right. looks looks like them, who maybe represents some of the same feelings they have. And I, I try to keep that in mind too, that I, there, I have a better chance of reaching people who look like me, even if they don't agree. And then maybe that's an introduction to a whole new conversation. And so in that goal, do you think you accomplished it? And what are some of the good and bad and the ugly that's come out of it? Um, I, I think that I, I, I know that I accomplished something good because I raised a buttload of money for a lot of different progressive causes. Um, Yeah. So, I mean that I'm glad that I, I'm glad that that's what I used the attention for when it was high. When I noticed that people were really like demanding more videos, I started saying, okay, if I can raise this much, I'll go do something crazy again. You know, (laughs) I, I started using that sort of as bait. Um, and then that sort of spiraled into, the the big um, auction, the online auction that I did in the fall of 2020 to raise money for the two Georgia Senate races. And we raised $10,000 um, and split that between John Ossoff and Raphael Warnock, and they both won. Yay! I'm not saying that was my fault, for thanks to me, but we did donate a, a bunch of money to them at the last in the last minute. Um, and I'm hoping that that helped put ads somewhere they hadn't been, you know? That's amazing. I mean, as tight as those races were, can't say you didn't do it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) That, that photo was iconic. Wasn't it like the high, the double high five? Like it was just fantastic. Oh, that, that felt so good. Like watching, watching Georgia go blue and knowing that I, I did something and it wasn't because, I mean, I think when, when you start getting attention, you can kind of take it in a couple different directions. And I just knew that the people that were following me, it mostly it was politically motivated, right? So if I just started doing random like brand deals and trying to make money for myself, I knew I would lose my platform because everyone would be like, oh God, it's just another influencer. Like, and I didn't want that to be my life anyway. That's like so stressful to me. So I was like, we have there's like a lot of shit going on. We should, we should just raise money for different things. So that I think is like the best thing to come out of it. Um, also, Rosie O'Donnell, Megan Rapino, follow me. Padma Lakshmi from hey. Top Chef, like, gotta love that's that. Pretty, that's pretty cool. <laughs> like a lot of a lot of people that I've looked up to for like my whole life uh, found my stuff and enjoyed it and took something from it. So that and and donated to the auction, like Rosie O'Donnell and uh, Megan Rapino and Jody Sweeten from Full House. They all donated stuff to the auction, um, and they're just awesome people. I still have a crush on Jody Sweeten. Like since second grade, I've had a huge crush on her. I we follow tried her to get her Insta, on the podcast. Can't get a hold of her. I think she knows. Give off that creepy dude vibe. <laughs> she is the real deal. I mean, she's out in the streets in California with all the, like the anti-fascists. Yes. Yeah. She's like on the front lines getting shoved around by cops. I mean, yeah. she is, she is the shit. And so uh, knowing that she has, she has like any ounce of respect for the me being silly in my car with a phone, uh, a microphone. I just, yeah, Stephanie Tanner was always the goat. So I, I just, yeah, that beside myself. Um, 
as far as bad and ugly, yeah, just the people being weird. Um, either either just like the insults and stuff and the creepy stuff of, you know, things showing up at my house. And then there's the other end of it where people really love you, but they also feel like you owe them content on a certain schedule. Yes. And that's like when you're already kind of in a downswing, it can be really, really, um, really hard on you mentally. So I would say even even sometimes the the people who loved loved me most were were part of the ugly in the beginning. So well, yeah. I'll, I'll tell you, I was never part of the ugly. I was always just thank like so anxiously much. awaiting your next uh, thing. <laughs> no, thank you. Appreciate it. We're talking about making an influence from a virtual space. Our musician spotlight this week is on Holloman. They were formed in July of 2019 and a transatlantic collaboration between composer Richard Graspy Lewis and lyricist, vocalist, and drummer Nicholas Parker, one of the Parker family dynasty of drummers, with Tony Levin on bass and Michael Bernier on guitars, recorded by Julie Last. Since March 2020, Holloman has released four singles which have been heard in nearly every country. Check them out at holloman.net to listen to their music and follow their socials. That's holloman, H-O-L-O-M-E-N.net. Oftentimes we we deal in these absolutes where it's like everybody in the right is bad and everybody in the left is good. And, and first of all, that's that's untrue on both sides. But sometimes people who even agree with you on a lot of things can be super toxic because they do deal sometimes in absolutes. And and whether it's from a toxic fandom standpoint or even I agree, you agreed with me on all this, but how dare you think something different on this. I, I'm sure you had some people who were like, I love you, but. Oh, I mean, anytime I've criticized Joe Biden, I will get hundreds of comments of he's doing his best. We can't, we can't criticize him. And I'm like, okay, so I'm not his fan. I'm his constituent who elected him. We have to, we have to criticize our politicians. Like we weren't allowed to, we weren't allowed to criticize him in the election because he was up against Trump and he had to win. And then we weren't allowed to criticize him in the first hundred days because he was so busy with COVID and blah, blah, blah. Right. And now we can't criticize him because midterms are coming. It's like, when, when can we criticize him and how are we better than Republicans if we if we're just also like falling lockstep behind the president without asking any questions. Well, and that's such like, fear-based behavior because we, yes, I think us as like non-Trump supporters felt like all of our rights and our voice were taken away from Trump. That it's like, if we dare speak out against any sort of democratic person well, or, or the president it's or whatever. It's Machiavellian. It's, you know, the ends yeah. justify the means yeah. kind of 
Well, yes. we need to get Joe in there. And, and I agree. We had to get anybody in there. But the politicians work for us. They always do. You know, I don't want to give any kind of, uh, you know, chance to somebody to be able to say, well, you guys fucked up with this. And we saw it a little bit in the Obama era. Some people would not speak badly about Obama. And it's like, you still got to hold these people accountable. And saying, like, yeah. well, that's racist or that's this. No, no, no. This is holding these people accountable. Right. Joe Biden, let's be honest. It was kind of like, look, you can have a moldy potato or a piece of white bread. And you're like, that's not a meal. Yes. But you know yes, what? I guess I'll exactly. take the white bread. Fuck. Right. It was it was completely it's always fear based. I hear the fear of people's in people's comments and I I completely understand it. But it like, let, let's look at the student loan stuff. Right. None of that would have happened. We would not have gotten a cent of forgiveness if more progressive people were not holding his feet to the fire in the primaries, in the actual run for, for president, and now. Because he moved to the left quite a bit on that, on healthcare, on a bunch of other issues, because we were talking about it and pushing him and people close to him who were more progressive were talking to him about it. Like, it's okay to do that. It doesn't mean no one's going to vote for him or you're going to expose something horrible. Like, we... We have to do that or we're no better than the people that we're saying are like sycophants for following Trump off a cliff. Like, I'm just never going to be that person. I'm never going to be the one who's not going to criticize someone that we elect and pay for, you know? That's what true patriotism is. You don't follow a person. You follow a movement. You're part of, you're part of what is important to everyone across the board. And the things that Joe was promising was were things that were going to have positive impacts on everybody, red, blue, and everything in between. Roe v. Wade is a perfect example. Roe could have been codified by the Democrats years ago. And they put so it off. So many and, times. They put it off for so long because we didn't make it a big enough issue or maybe we just weren't loud enough about it. I will also say, and and this is going to be controversial, but everyone's fave, and I love her too, Ruth Bader Ginsburg could have retired under Obama and Obama would have gotten another Democrat in. You're not wrong. Totally fair. You're 100 percent right? correct. So, Democrats yeah, are these bad are the things at playing we their, their own fucking game. Right. Democrats are like playing a chess match and realize that they've been playing checkers the whole time. They're like, we're going to outsmart them. No. The, and, the, and meanwhile, the Republicans have been working for decades to get rid of Roe, like since it was codified, like since it was passed in, in the seventies, they have been working to fill these seats and working to get the judgeships they needed and, and moving these people up and move it. And, you know, it's just like, we need to be, we need to be more strategic. And I think that that was a huge looking back. She was a hero. She was incredible, but she should have retired at 80 or whatever, how old she was under Obama, instead of just trying to hold out through four more years of Trump. Like that was short sighted of anybody who told her to keep working. There's just so many people who had their hands in that pot. And and it just goes to show, I think what Democrats can do other than be more strategic in, in the way that they move is be more authentic. If you're going to try to separate yourself from the people you're trying to beat, you need to stop using the same rhetoric and bullshit that gets you elected because all you're doing is taking the opposite hot buzz items of the week and throwing them out there. Uh, Joe Biden promised a lot more about student loan forgiveness and what actually came through with a gun to his head wasn't great. 
Yeah. I mean, it, it ended up being better than I initially thought. I put out a video the night before when it was leaked that he was doing 10K and I was very mad about it. Yeah. Um, but I did say, if this is all that it is, I'm going to be mad. I'm I'm happy that the Pell Grant recipients are being prioritized and that's going to go at least some way to fix some of the racial wealth gap in this country, which is awesome. Um, but yeah, why couldn't he do 50K? Like there... No one has paid a student loan payment in two years and the government has not collapsed on itself. They don't need that money. The only people that are going to suffer are the, the credit collection agencies that are dealing with this stuff. So like for me, there is no downside to doing this. We bail out banks for way more and corporations all the time. Why do they deserve it more than the people who just did what we were told to do at 18 in order to have a job and make ends meet and get, get a house one day, you know? Yeah. And you can't even get that now. <laughs> right. No. no. People who uh, haven't followed you yet. Uh, yet. What might they see now? So you're no longer <sighs> going out there and trolling the Trumpers. <laughs> They've disappeared. I don't know. I guess I I guess I magicked them she away. She eradicated them. Yay. Yay. <laughs> we'll never have problems again. Um, <laughs> now I kind of just do whatever I want. Um, I was on another podcast and the guy asked me like what my plan was. I don't I don't have a plan. This isn't my job. I have a I have a day job. Uh, so I just post when the wind takes me. Like the last the last thing that really got stuck in my craw was Lauren Boebert talking about forgiving loans for lesbian dance theory majors. So I made a couple videos as a as a teacher of lesbian dance theory, um, and I te I teach at the Rosie O'Donnell College of Fine Arts. I've Very seen those videos; they're amazing. <laughs> those are really fun. Those are really fun. Yeah. So I just I I'm trying to just continue doing funny political stuff when it when it hits me basically i'm not i'm not trying to keep keep up with any kind of schedule because that's just not that's not good for me i've learned so have have you thought about eating a chamoy pickle on oh, tiktok <laughs> what is that we did a social media experiment and please don't inc include this in the podcast but i i we were <laughs> trying to like do the whole thing about like how social media is just like silly and like the lowest common denominator and i noticed on tiktok because i'm trying to do the tiktok for the podcast mm -hmm. these people eating these chamoy pickles so chamoy is like a um condiment it's red it's I think it's I'm spicy. It right now. Other people don't think it's spicy. I don't know. It's kind of candy-ish. But they soak these mm. pickles in them. And then you put like Twizzler kind of things on these pickles with the chamoy. And they put Takis and fruit roll-ups and stuff. So I told Matt. Jeez. I said, we have, we had like zero people on TikTok. You, you see it? Yeah. You. you get yeah, it. I see the pickle. I mean, they, they sell them in... Like their own little bag. Like a kit. Like. Yes. Like a like a whole kit thing. But I told him, I just said, I bet I could get like thousands of likes on TikTok when we get like, what, 400 maybe yeah. on a good day mm -hmm. if I do this. And and he said, well, put it on the podcast. And I'm like, well, it's off brand. He goes, what the heck's brand for the podcast? So I did. <laughs> Everything is content. Within 48 hours, I had... Almost half a million views and like 14,000 14, likes. likes. And I was like in my pajamas, like with the dewy on top of my head, like yes. just eating You know how you said, mess. please don't put this part in the podcast? Yeah. Let's cut to Lindsay's Chamoy pickle video. <laughs> 
whoa yeah that's a that's a pretty big pickle um it's definitely been marinating for a while all right here we go it's really sour but there is a tiny bit of heat and it's just like literally just liquid. all right but it's so silly it's just so silly to see the things that like get picked up and it, it really is a lot of just like luck and what is available at the time but i i will say for for someone to continue to like get followers and likes i i just feel like you have to have a platform and things that you're continuing to put out and even though now you're doing where the wind blows i feel like you still have like this really good following and the the message that you're still trying yeah, to put out so that's the thing like you started more as like pure entertainment right but now you're actually putting out i that's and raising thing. money. That's the thing is like people are still now coming to you for actual information and, and influence. Right. You know? Yeah. And that's that's really important because now you're using your voice in an authentic way. Not that there's anything wrong with the satire and the fun, but also people are looking to you and you were a source of information, I'm sure, for a lot of people about like the 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 Pell Grant uh, piece of information mm -hmm. on, on the forgiveness on um, some of the things happening with Roe v. Wade, you're a source of information and comedians oftentimes are taken more serious right. than the news because they're more trusted. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, the night that the Pell Grant stuff or all the, the student loan forgiveness stuff happened, I did a live and I literally read through Biden's statement word for word and like broke it down and talked about it because I knew that no one is going to read this. Like I, I work in marketing. I know people don't read and you have to make it so easy for people or they're just not going to do it. And so I didn't, I wanted to get out as much of the, the real information as I could. So people weren't just like sticking to this 10,000 and being really angry about it without realizing like, no, there's actually like positive racial implications that this has. And if we just say like, oh, the 10,000 isn't going to do anything. It's actually kind of erasing the fact that this is going to clear debt for a lot of black students and former students, like clear it out and give them a, a better chance. So I wanted it to be very um, in-depth. And there were like 70 people that stuck around for like the whole thing. Other people came in and out, but it was a pretty like good sized group of people that just sat there and listened and asked questions. And, and we kind of like worked through it together to figure out what was going on and how you applied and everyone was, you know, giving each other advice on public service loan forgiveness in the comments. So it was, that's the kind of stuff that I, that I like. And I, I, I think going forward is, like I said, don't have a plan, but I do enjoy helping educate like that. So. Well, it sounds like you've gone with your gut from the beginning. So why change that at this point? Uh, yeah, I, I, I try to, I try to just do what, what seems like it'll be fun and educational. And I, I just try to be careful about the way I go about it. So I'm not alienating people. I didn't mean to alienate because that like, I will say I'm imperfect. We're all imperfect. Right. And I think a mistake that a lot of um, political, specifically progressive entertainers, creators make is they think that they're infallible. And that's something you're seeing a lot on TikTok right now is just these creators getting dragged for making mistakes because they have positioned themselves as like the all-knowing, the objective fact, like I don't make any mistakes. I am perfect. I never step out of line. I'm never problematic. 
you just have to own it and also be careful that you're giving the most correct information because everyone has the entire internet at their fingertips. And just like own your mistakes if something happens. Like I used the phrase white trash once and I got I got people saying, hey, you shouldn't use that. It's classist. And I was like, oh shit, I just meant these are trashy people. Like they have horrible opinions. But when you look into the history of the word white trash, it's classist and it's racist because it's actually saying that these white people associate with black people. So I was like, okay, I'm I'm going to put up a video explaining why I'm not using that anymore, you know, instead of just taking it down and getting like defensive about it. So we just have to be careful. A lot of times you see people kind of dig their own holes deeper and deeper and deeper trying to, and we've all probably been that person at one point in time in some kind of social context, but that's what I love. You know, like I love this show because it allows you to be candid and vulnerable and when I stick my foot in my mouth, which I'm sure I do all the time, uh, it's part of the process. You can't have uncomfortable conversations and talk about things that matter and be perfect because being perfect goes against the entire impetus because perfection is tied to essentially white supremacy and the patriarchy. And the yeah, idea of admitting yeah. the flaws is part of what breaks it all down. You have to be like, okay. I get it. And then ask questions sometimes. Yeah. Like literally the entire system, all the systems in this country, when you, when you learn more about it, it, they're all set up to keep white people comfortable Yeah, in every sense, right? Like the police are here to protect us from anything, anything, right? Like you see white people calling the cops about the dumbest stuff when they feel the least bit uncomfortable. And, and I've learned that the, like white privilege is this drug that you can take and just all of the discomfort goes away. If you just like back back into it, it's super easy because you were raised with it. You can just shut your eyes, close your ears, and just stop thinking about anybody that's hurting around you. But we can't do that anymore. We need to lean into the discomfort, even our own, and dig up all the stuff that is is racist and sexist and, and homophobic and transphobic yeah. in ourselves. Because if we position ourselves as as the perfect ally, we don't, we're not realizing that, you know, the plank in our own eye, as it were, to circle back to religion for a second. <laughs> well, and we have such a long way to go. I mean, oh, yeah. from, mm -hmm. from an inclusion standpoint, we try and we try, I think we try on this show to like give a little bit of a disclaimer, but we know we're going to put our foot in our mouths and we're going to say things that aren't as inclusive. And I, I think we yeah. try to mitigate that as best we can, but, um, I think it all depends on intention. Like if your intention is to be inclusive and you misstep, like that's okay versus being bigoted or, you know. Well, and inclusive. let's talk about the flip side of this too, <laughs> because the other element that goes on, especially on the internet, on social media, is people from across the board are waiting to jump on a mistake that you make. And mm -hmm. Obama made a really important comment about this a while ago when somebody talked about somebody flubbing you know, they, they said the wrong word. I mean, I even had it out with progressives a few times when they talked about something Trump said. And I'm mm -hmm. like, he that was a slip of tongue. That wasn't a Freudian slip. There's times where, like, you have so much that you can take this guy down on. Don't pick that thing. There is this idea that, haha, you messed up because you're famous, fuck you. And that's toxic as shit. So when mm -hmm. it's something important that somebody points out, I think it's great to address it, but there's always those people who are going to try to take you down 
because they they're looking up to you. And I yeah. think sometimes it's like, I think in the right context, it's okay to either ignore it or point out the fact like, dude, like, come on. There is, there is no way to please everybody or not offend anyone. Yeah. And, and a lot of the times I think social media specifically fuels it because if you are the first one to point out something problematic that someone else is doing, especially a famous person, you get clout for that. You get likes and you get attention. So it's like, it's like this instant gratification where people want to find something that's wrong in order to, you know, build their own platform, build their own career, because you're instantly rewarded for doing this call out culture stuff. But I, I now have, I know multiple people who we all sort of came up into TikTok and Instagram around the same time. And they really leaned into that kind of call out culture, the tag and drag and, you know, like expose videos on different people, all of them have been exposed and basically tarred and feathered off of TikTok because something came out about them. And everybody turned their weapons that they helped them form against them. And so that's why I've never done the tag and drag because I'm like, I'm not, I am not perfect. And I am not, especially as a white person, I am not going to position myself as some sort of arbiter of social justice. I just want to spread information and maybe make people laugh as well. But I don't want to position myself as like the social justice police, which is what it kind of turns into. Yeah. And I think it's really gross because because there's nothing authentic about that. If you really believe that you're going to try to have a conversation and change this person's mindset and or behavior moving forward, that is obviously not the way to do it. No, it's 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 literally for views and but people get lost in the sauce they don't see it they really think that they're doing what's best they're doing what's right and i just wonder specifically for white creators who do that and get so much attention off of just being so um negative and critical like what are you doing offline to make the world a better place yeah. like cuz you're spending hours a day on TikTok, just calling out other smaller TikTokers or like random racist people on TikTok because the outrage is getting you attention. But what difference are you really making? And I, like I said, there are many lanes to activism, but if all you're doing is creating controversy on TikTok, A, you live by the game, you die by the game, and that just keeps happening. And B, what, what, ne what needle are you actually moving? No, actually, they're moving the needle backwards because what you're doing, <laughs> yeah. is, you are because what you're doing is giving fodder to the other side who says, for example, we live in Cleveland. And when the Cleveland Indians decided to change their name, what a lot of people who are very hard against that, which I, w I will gladly say, it's not a simple, easy term. It, like everyone wanted to paint it black or white. It, it wasn't black or white. There was a lot of gray. I understand <laughs> like nostalgia, like the term Indians meant so much to the people who grew up with the team. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, sports have a lot of that. If, if you say take the racism out of sports, you might as well end all sports. But well, yeah, that's like you're so close to the point, right? Like there's just just everywhere. There's a lot more we need to do. But yeah. Yeah. But my point in saying that is they would say the only people I've heard say that's offensive is white people because we weren't mm -hmm. actually hearing necessarily the voice of the 
the natives, the indigenous people who were offended by it. We're hearing white Karens go on about how it was offensive for other people. So it moves the needle backwards when all you're doing is saying, well, that person's a fame whore. They don't actually give a shit mm -hmm. and they're not mm -hmm. offended. They're not, they're not a native. I'm not saying that as a white person, you can't use your voice to support other groups. I'm saying when you're doing it in that vein, you are, I think, moving the needle backwards. Yeah, and you're you're centering yourself in an issue that isn't your issue. And I mean, it would be one thing if those if those white creators were saying you're not hearing from native people because we killed most of the native native people, right? Like they're a very small minority of our country now, and they don't have a lot of power or privilege or at this point. But yeah, if you're if you're centering yourself and it becomes more about ego than actually changing things, that is that is a problem. And and social media is is making it extremely toxic in, in a lot of the, the white social justice spaces right now, which sucks. It, it really sucks because it does do harm to, I think, a lot of the movements that people are trying to get behind. And mm -hmm. there's nothing brave about being outraged or offended, and especially for likes. There's, that's not bravery, yeah. especially when it's dragging somebody else, because there's no risk in that. Yeah, exactly. And and I mean, it ends up being risky for their own for their own platform because I've I have not yeah. seen it go well for one person who has built their whole platform on like stitching a video and and calling people out and doxing them. Like that does not go well. Like just if you want to be if you want to be big on TikTok, don't do that. <laughs> like find another more organic way because it is going to bite you in the butt. And like very very quickly. Yeah, just make more chamoy pickle videos, and <laughs> I think the world will be a better just be place. Stupid, <laughs> stupid is the keyword. So stupid. There. <laughs> um, speaking of things that are just for fun, I have to nerd out with you for at least a couple minutes here. You have a podcast that I was like, that's pretty fucking cool. Yeah, uh, my best friend Caitlin and I—we've been friends since we were six months old, and we run the Hey Beautiful podcast where we are re-watching How I Met Your Mother episode by episode and talking about it episode by episode. And it's taking a long time, but it is a labor of love. There's so many crazy things we could talk about. First of all, we have to say, I loved that show when it was on. Was not thrilled with the ending. I don't think anybody was that whole last season. But I, I will fight I will fight with you on that, but I will not fight with you on it right now because I know we're short on time. <laughs> yeah. That, no, that's good. It's that, a fight we can have at another time. Are you saying you enjoyed the whole last season or you actually enjoyed the finale as well? I I enjoy I did enjoy the last season. I know a lot of people didn't, and I understand the ending. That's what I will say. I understand I the ending. I literally too. can't get into it because it's it's so much. And also, if I say it all here, I can't say I, I mean I want to save it for our season nine. Absolutely. So. Don't, that's all I'm gonna say. <laughs> no, I what I'll say is I liked the ending way more than most mm -hmm. people did. But the mm -hmm. problem was knowing it was the last season, I just don't think they brought it the way that they should have. But I'll leave it at that. I think we can agree on I understood the ending, too, because yeah, yeah, I yeah. actually knew from episode one that's how the show was going to end. And they did, too. Yeah, yeah. We also have an affinity for it here because the, the main character, Ted Mosby, was from the actor and the his character were from Shaker Heights, which is, you know, very close to where we're at and it's part of Cleveland. So there were so many like little Cleveland jokes at our own expense and sometimes just 
that inside humor, but I, I love that element of the show. The whole Brown's wedding was great. Like all the brown and orange at the wedding. That was amazing. <laughs> so where are you guys at in the podcast now? What season? We are talking about season six, which is um, if you've watched the show, um, well, if you haven't, spoiler alert, it's the season where one of the main characters' um, parents dies. And so it's a very, it gets pretty dark. And and for that reason, we, we wanted to talk to the creators about it. Um, so we just had... Carter Bays, who's one of the two guys that created it on to talk about why season six is so dark and why it's so different. And his his story is fascinating. So if you want to check it out, I mean, I had no idea how deep it was and how how thoughtful it was um, creating the the entire structure of the season. It's pretty incredible. So and Neil Patrick Harris's character, uh, Barney Stinson, he is a walking <laughs> problem, right? I mean, the Me Too yeah, movement yeah. happened just shortly after that show ended. Yeah, I, I I am grateful every day that the internet was only ramping up as the show was ending. I, I think for a lot of reasons, I think with streaming services, we wouldn't have gotten nine seasons. We might not have even gotten two if it had started today. And not just for the out of date jokes, but shows just are shorter now and they don't, and they get canceled so easily. And so for the show to get, you know, four or five seasons and then, or I think it was four seasons and they got syndicated. I mean, that just doesn't happen today. And then they were able to just do whatever they wanted. So I'm, yeah, I'm always grateful that really the only season that got hammered was season nine, because that was when Twitter was really taking off. They had a very, a very racist episode where they were kind of like making fun of Kung Fu movies that got a lot of heat. Um, which sucks because it was like a slap episode, which would have been really funny if they hadn't done the costumes that they did. Um, and then, of course, the ending. So, I mean, they they really only felt the heat of the Internet in that very last season. So I'm I'm happy it existed when it existed. What I love about it and the reason that this is a relevant topic on this show and 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 just in this episode is Someone might think, oh, she's this social justice warrior. She won't let, I mean, you're not, you guys aren't looking at it as black and white either. You're saying we still love this show despite its very big flaws, but also let's talk about them. Yeah, that's, and that's always been a, a big piece of it. And we have gotten some, a few comments of people being like, oh, you just like fixate on everything that's problematic and rah, 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 you're trying to be woke and you're talking about it. It's like, this is just who I am. I'm, I'm a, I'm a gay woman in the world. Like I have a different experience watching this show than, than, than you would. Right. So I am going to comment on it because if I, it makes me feel weird, it's my podcast. I want to talk about it. If you don't like that, go listen to some other, how I your mother podcast, you know? Let's uh, let's end this conversation on a positive note. Despite all the ugliness that you've seen in, in your world and and in uh, from the mass holes, what what gives you hope? Um, I think seeing a lot more younger people, a lot of people of color, a lot of queer people getting involved more in politics and being able to support them and vote for them. Um, another thing that I I did especially early on when I had a lot of eyeballs on me is I got to interview. A lot of different candidates from across the country, which was fun. Just on live, I would just reach out to people or they would contact me. And so um, that was awesome to me, you know, Black and Latino and queer candidates from different parts of the country and the different struggles they were facing, but also, you know, the different victories was 
was awesome. And so I, I think things are, things are changing, but the, the, I will say the dinosaurs need to retire. Like you've made enough money. It's time to let the Gen Xers and the millennials step in. Like it's time. We have, um, Diane Feinstein is 89, 89 years old in California, Senator in California. And she's worth like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, and she's a Democrat and she needs to go because there are progressive Californians coming up behind her. And we should be doing more of nurturing the next generation of Democrats than we're doing uh, because they're there and that they're there and they're trying to break in. And so I hope that I hope that the DNC um, does more of that. We've talked about that on this show that, you know, the body of Congress needs to represent the people that they're serving. And, you know, I'm sorry, the majority of the com- uh, country is not white men, you know, and, and even the people on our side who we agree with on a lot of stuff like Nancy Pelosi, you got to go. Get out. Get out. I mean, just the whole like insider trading thing, too, allegedly. Like, yeah, they just need they're they're of a different era of of politics that does not apply to the world that is literally burning and flooding. Like we just we have the voices, we have the minds that are ready to go, but they're being kept out because these people don't want to lose their grasp in their final, in their final years on earth. So I, I would, I, I'm hopeful about the new people coming up and I'm, I'm wishful that, um, the Democrats will finally realize they need to just like turn the reins over to us. Where can people find you online and where can people find the podcast? Uh, me, if you want to follow me and see me do silly videos, um, I'm at at the girl with a microphone on TikTok and Instagram. And my podcast is at Hey Beautiful Pod on um, Instagram and Twitter. Kate, thank you so much for being on this ep- episode. We're, we were just so excited to have this conversation with you. And we could nerd out anytime. I will talk about any good long run television show with you at any point if you want. So thank you so much for being here and and for uh, having this conversation with us. And thank you. I will always eat a chamoy pickle with you via a stitch (laughs) on uh, TikTok if you would like. So, (laughs) okay, I might have to do that. Thank you. Thank you both for having me. This was fabulous. Don't lose that microphone. No, never. (laughs) It's right here. Yay! There she is. We just went there. Now you can go to thegoingtherepodcast.com for links to all the podcast platforms, our socials, and of course, YouTube. While you're at it, give us a rating, share with a friend, and subscribe. And don't forget to check out our musician spotlight, Holloman. You can check them out at holloman.net. That's H-O-L-O-M-E-N.net. This podcast is made possible by its hosts and Frame One Media in association with Lindsay Baker, Joe Callie, and Bobby Thomas.